This is so great. I just love being in this church. I love being here this morning and uh, also being with my wife, Amy. Can you, Amy and Josh, can you just stand and turn around because I know a lot of people. <clears throat> and, and why that's significant is Amy and I met in this church. Uh, this is where we met. She was uh, one of the associate pastors on staff, and I was working with missions, and I had been in Africa, and I came back on the day that she was installed as the new associate pastor. That's where we first, first met, and some of you probably said, uh oh. <laughs> and others uh, said, huh? Uh, and this young man who's taller than me now was uh, Amy and I had the privilege of dedicating him to, the God, to God on this platform right here, just after he was born. And uh, some of you have been a part of our lives for over 20 years. I see a few folks. I was the youth pastor for your child here. Um, and what a journey it's been. Uh, I'm excited to share this morning because God has a plan. Can you say that? God has a plan. Can you look at somebody with conviction, even if they don't believe it, look at them and say, God has a plan. It's not just my opinion, it's actually scripture. Because when we look at Ephesians chapter 2, it's an amazing chapter, but we look at chapter 2, verse 10. It says, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. God made us. We're his workmanship. We come alive when we connect with him. We're created in Christ Jesus. We're completed by his grace, by the salvation we have through him. But it doesn't end there. Then we move into action because we have work to do. But there are ideas and, and, and plans that God has had all along. And I have seen God's providence in so many people's lives, including mine. When we come to that point, just like the last song that we sang, that says, Spirit, lead me. When we truly say, Spirit, lead me, whatever it costs, I want to move beyond my comfort zone. Dear God, use me. And some of us feel like, how could God use me? I feel like the enemy's cut something off. I don't know that there is a future. I'm inadequate. There's, there's so many things that I've dealt with. And in my own life, I said, God, this is way over my head. And God says, uh-huh. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You, there's no way you can do this by yourself. And so when things happen, we all just say, oh, man, it's just because of God. It's just because of him. There's several significant things that have to do with God's workmanship in us, creating us in Christ Jesus to do good works, that that God has a plan. I'm reminded when I got out of my car this morning in your parking lot and I I made my way this, I, I always look across the basketball court because there's a tree. You see, I was... Uh, finishing up my graduate school in missions when I got a call from the leadership of this church that said, we want you to come and be a youth pastor and involved in missions. Well, I came out for the interview, never been to Garden Grove before. I took that position, 
back then, I think it was 86, 1986, and uh, my first week with the youth group. You know, you want, you want everything to go just right because you're the new guy. And you want to be funny, you want to teach good, you want to have the great game so that all the kids go, this is awesome, man, I can't wait to be my friends next week. And I tried to be funny, and nobody laughed. And I did my best teaching, and nobody paid attention. And I even did a few games, but they were like, ah. I thought, man, this is a tough crowd. Ever been to Garden Grove? <laughs> it's a unique, unique city. I don't know what's going on here. But then I found out that everybody was preoccupied with something. Because in front of the youth building, there had been a tree planted in memory of a girl who had died recently in the youth group. And not only were the kids struggling, grieving over that loss of a friend, that was in that youth group, and she wasn't there that night, and so they planted this tree. But what had happened the first week when I came on staff, I don't think it was because of me, but vandals came, and they uprooted some new shrubbery. And so, so John, make sure you have extra security. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, the church had done this different stuff. They planted, and um, among the things they did is they cut that three-inch tree all the way down to the grass, ruined, destroyed. And so that is why those kids didn't think anything was funny. Because at the end, I said, you know what, I don't, are you guys okay? And they said, no. What are you going to do about the tree? And then they explained. In fact, I, I contacted somebody this morning, and that tree was planted in memory of Marita Means back in 1985. Well, the kid said, what are you going to do? I didn't know. This is, a new, this is new to me, and I don't know much about trees. And so I said, I don't know. Let's, let me think about it this week. And they came back the next week. And they said, what are you going to do? And I, I didn't have an answer. Let's just say in terms of youth pastorship, I, wa- I started out here, and I was going downhill. Well, After that second week, I said, God, you got to help here because this, it seems like we're not going to go much far beyond this issue, and I need a right answer of uh, an action. And as I was out there and I was just walking around uh, during one of the days that week thinking about youth groups coming, (laughs) youth groups coming, kids are coming, and I'm walking around saying, God, what what should we do, plan a new thing or, or, or something? I felt the Holy Spirit. And you know, when you're connected with God, and I'm not saying I'm anybody special, it's just God makes it available to everybody, isn't it? We say, God, help me. Can you tell me something? I need direction here. And I, and I, I can't say I heard something audible, but it was, it was just this impression. It said, look close. So I looked, and I said, look close. Look, it kept going. And so I got on my hands and knees. Now I'm, I'm looking at this thing. And then I knew what to do because around the bark of that seemingly dead tree was a little tiny green bud. I mean, the size of a pencil lead, tiny, but it was a green bud. And all of a sudden I thought, this thing's, it's not dead. This tree is alive. 
So I thought, yes. So youth group came, and I was excited, and they came in. And, of course, they didn't even want me to teach or do games. It's just like, what are you going to do about the tree? <laughs> I said, I know what we're going to do about the tree. And they're, like, shocked. Like, what? You know what we're going to do? I said, yes, come outside. So we went outside. I said, make a circle around it. There's, like, 15 kids. They're all standing around. And I said, here's what we're going to do. We're not going to do anything. Now I had just went another level. I said, what do you mean you're not going to do? I said, no, we're not going to do anything because this tree is not dead. He said, yeah, no, it's not dead. He said, it's dead. I said, look closely. And when I pointed out what was there, still people are, you know, like, it's dead. I said, no, let's just wait. Let's be patient. Let's take care. Let's take care and see what happens. And friends, God has a plan. And I hope that every one of you, on your way after you fellowship and enjoy each other for 20 minutes or more after church, stop by the basketball court and look there to the left of that far hoop by the wall and see the 30-foot tree. I don't even know if that wound can still be seen, but it's there. There is a wound somewhere, but that tree is alive. And I'm glad you haven't taken it down yet. <laughs> I would have really messed up this morning's message. Uh, it's like, we're doing landscaping, you know, everything. <laughs> Cut that one down. <laughs> Start all over a second time. It's like, what are you going to do about the tree? But see, what's my point? God, you see, things like that happen in our lives, doesn't it? I don't know about you, but there's certain times where I just feel like somebody took the chainsaw and just took it down, and I feel like my life is, that, that was a beautiful garden is now a heap of compost. But you know what's awesome? Out of compost grows the best vegetables. And out of a tree that's seemingly dead can come brand new life. Our God has a plan. And many of you are just saying, preach it, brother because you've seen it. You know what I'm talking about. And there still might be tough things, but the more you see God answer, the greater our confidence to step out of the boat the next time, right? And the next time, and then again and again, and then when you get to be old like me, <laughs> so you say, yeah, you look good. You look old. <laughs> this, hey, this works in Africa, okay? Gray hair. It's working. Um, you begin to say, you know what? God is faithful. God is faithful again and again. And I'm so faithful. You see, I'm so glad God is faithful because he's helped our family. You see, that wasn't necessarily my idea to go to Africa. I, I did study for missions. There was a calling, but I was not sure where God was going to lead me. I came here at this church, but then there was a leader who left the church, and so they said, who's going to go to Africa? And I was at that board meeting, and they read a letter from the guy in Tanzania, and at the end, I felt what this song was saying, step out into the water, step out, go into the deep areas. And at that meeting, when they said, who would go, my heart started beating out of my chest because I felt God saying, it's you. And my head said, don't you dare raise your hand. They probably have spears. But my heart was saying, it's you. It's time. I'm with you. Step out. I got a plan. And so I raised my hand. And Dave Henry, the chairman of the church. How many of you know Dave Henry? Yeah, there you go. Dave Henry said, Don, do you have a question? 
This is true. Gary Ennis was there in the room, and he's still a pastor not far. And I said, no, um, I'll go. I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know what that meant. But I knew God was saying, move, step into the water, get out of the boat. And maybe God's saying that to some of you. It might be some of these amazing programs that I'm seeing. And what's God going to do with this beautiful place out here? Is it just for, for us to come together and say, hey, I never was able to sit here before, and this is nice. Or is it, God, another tool in the hands of an almighty God to reflect his nature and his beauty and his creation and to bring more people here and then for you, for us to go out to reflect him? Well, I did go on that trip to Tanzania, and I did survive. (laughs) And God helped me connect with some amazing African leaders. This is one of them, Samuel Tumuge. He and I are looking over the Kerio Valley. God has allowed us to reach about four different communities in that place, forgotten places, desperate, poor, broken. And yet now, today, there's hope, there's vision, there's trees, there's new Christians. And next year, 2015, it will be 20 years since Empowering Lives International was started in a little office behind there. Because when I came back after that first trip, I shared stories, and one of them that convicted all of us as a church body was about this one pastor who lived next to Lake Victoria, who when I went and visited his village, and Ruth Schultz, who's here today, Ruth, she's been in the same village and met Pastor Constantine. Not that same, we brought her and others later on, but she knows who I'm talking about. That pastor... um, there was this child, malnourished, swollen stomach, and I, I was so concerned about this sick child that I'd seen laying by this mud house for three hours that I got the pastor, I brought him over and explained, you know, as if I needed to. Excuse me, sir, look at this child. He's so sick. He's malnourished. He's been here for hours. We have to find the family that maybe abandoned him. And then when the pastor scooped him up and said, this one is my son, my whole world changed. Because I'd been talking a lot about God's love, talking, talking, preaching, teaching, and now I said, God, you just messed me up because what do I do? How do I help this pastor who wants to reach his whole village, even his nation? He can't even feed his own family. When we came back, then this church, we did garage sales. We called them stuff sales, and we filled that breezeway back there with junk that we didn't need anymore. And some of you are remembering that. And we sold it. But we were able to buy that pastor a boat and a, and a net. And when I went back the next year, and I had to go back, and so did seven others from this church on that first trip, that pastor was not only feeding his family, but he was employing seven other men in the village. And I was hooked. And I kept going back again and again. And seeing what God wanted to do to help us, not to give handouts, but to give knowledge so that the people had the skills to be able to support themselves. And what an amazing journey it's been as we share ideas with people who are needy. And when I say ideas, there's hope for Africa. We're teaching at our training centers and through a very uh, powerful extension program how to grow food. 
how to get the most out of a small space. We've got several different strategic programs. One lasts nine months, one lasts four days. The one that lasts four days, I wish you could come for four days and see. I mean, it is a blast when people come and they kind of come in like this, looking at each other, and we take the first time, tell us about yourself and what you have, or what are your hopes, what are your problems, and they're just, you know, some guy said, oh, you know, I'm so poor, there's nothing you can do for me, I, my land is this big, you see this room, it's this big, just, but you know what, we showed him this vertical garden, how you can grow plants in a sack, 80 plants where you'd normally grow eight, the guy went back. After he saw that, his eyes opened. But we don't just teach ideas. We share the gospel. We talk, we talk to them about who they are as people, the value that they have in life. Because poverty is not just a matter of cool ideas. It reaches into the souls of people who feel useless. But when we begin to connect them with a God who says no one is useless... Everyone was created in my image. Everyone can work. And we begin to connect with ideas that we feel God is giving us. For example, that guy, he went home, and on his little place that he was complaining about, he made 20 of these. And he began feeding his family and selling vegetables to his neighbors. That's what we're talking about. Ideas. This is at our training center. We just have... uh, we have about seven acres, actually two of them in Kenya, and then we've expanded now into Tanzania, Congo, and South Sudan. But this is the one in Kenya where my family, Amy, Joshua, and our other son, Nathaniel, who's at another event today, um, but we live there and right near the training center. The building in the back right there is part of our orphanage. But what I'm showing you here is chaya. It's a vegetable. It grows on a stem and the leaves come out. Those leaves are twice the nutrition of spinach. It's disease resistant, pest resistant, drought resistant. You don't need good soil. And once it grows into a bush, you take one of those sticks, you break it off, you snap it into 18 inch pieces and you shove it in the ground at 45 degrees and it grows another bush. And once you plant it, you never grow it again. You never plant it again. It's not like spinach and kale. You know, you get like six, seven months out of it, and then you do it again next. No. This grows year after year, and it just keeps getting bigger and more productive. And so these are some of the ideas that we're distributing. And we sell these for eight cents each. You want a stick? Eight cents. See, it's not good to give things just free to anybody, even if they have very, very little it's good that somebody pays something because people don't really appreciate. You know, if we just said, here's your chaya, Living Spring paid for it, they'd go home and go, hey, thanks. You know, and a week later when the sticks are all dried up, they go, anyway, I got them free. <laughs> no, no, no. Let everybody invest in something so that they care for it. Here's at our uh, children's home. We have an orphanage, two, two orphanages, and, uh, but we also train people how to convert a 55-gallon drum into a bread oven. And it works. In fact, our two orphanages, we don't buy any store-bought bread anymore. So it reduces our budget. But we also train pastors and teachers and leaders how to do this in their churches. We also now have a state-of-the-art workshop. Are you a carpenter? Are you love woodwork? We've got a wood shop that you would just go, what? In Africa? You kidding me? I mean, we've got lathes and planes and drill press and Makita chop saw that goes this way, this way, this way. It's pretty, it's really very nice. We'd love you to come. 
you know, come for a week or two. Help us make beehives and other furniture. Help work with our recovering alcoholics and others. And just use that natural love and talent you have. There is a plan God has for you, all right? You're his workmanship. You're created in him to do what? To do good works. God has in mind for you. And as, he, as empowering lives, we want to connect you with what God's doing. There's one guy who tried to convince me I can't be used. He's an entomologist from Marietta, from our sister church at Centerpoint. And he said, I feel called to come and, you know, for a couple weeks, use my vacation. But what, do, what good could I do, Don? He said, I work for a bear. I mean, it's this massive pesticide company. There's nothing that I think, you know, it's, it's so like this that I don't think it fits Africa. I said, yeah, but Chris, we have a problem with maize. Everyone loses 30% of the hard, of the grain they work hard to grow because of weevils. So I'm not saying you import your pesticide, but maybe there's a technique or a strategy that can kill these weevils because it's huge. If the people don't put enough pesticide, they can lose 80% of their food that they, they, they depend on. So he started doing research and he came with three ideas. And we, we sat down and we looked at them, we shared them with our Kenyan brothers, and we all agreed this one would work. And then we found a guy in Kenya who will make them. It's a nylon sack with two custom inner linings. And this guy now has making them at half of his cost because he heard the story behind it. What's amazing is that this sack, what, what you do is you put the grain inside the sack, then you close it off. It's plastic. It's a food-grade plastic, and you twist it, and you tie it off. Then you put the second layer, twist it, tie it off to make sure it's completely sealed off from any oxygen. And the weevils inside are busy eating, and then they're using all the oxygen. They die within three days with no pesticide. So we uh, produce these by the thousands. A church helped us be able to do that first run, and now we're selling them. And it's a great, great, exciting way to put God's love into action. These are actually free Methodist pastors that came for training. Um, we're not exclusive to free Methodists uh, or living springists, um, but we do train free Methodist widows and pastors. Uh, we work with all churches, but we have a, uh, certainly have a special heart for the free Methodist leadership in Kenya. Um, last year, uh, there was a certain need that I kept seeing in Tanzania, lack of clean water. And for my first five years, and when Amy and I were married and you sent us off to Africa, this is where we went, to a place with villages where the water is contaminated. And now Amy and I didn't drink the contaminated water. Where we go to the village, they would boil it for us. But keep in mind, boiling doesn't filter. Boiling just kills the germs. So it can still look like this. So you know it's safe, you're just drinking clean dirt. And it smells burnt. It does. You, you smell the water. It actually smells burnt. But here's what God did is there's a, another friend, set of friends that helped us to buy this water drilling machine. Instead of help, they, somebody said, we want to help you drill one well. I said, can you add about $10,000 to that so that we can buy a machine? So that we're not just doing one well. We're doing wells till Jesus comes. <laughs> and so they did. And now we have this machine. That's Jacob, Jacobo that uh, is our Tanzania director. And here's the first well in January, and we're gonna continue doing this, um, putting in wells one, one by one. We're starting out slow, building our capacity in our team, making sure everybody knows how to run it. But what a, what a journey. Al along the way, 
when we talk about things being cut down, the people of South Sudan have struggled for 50 years in civil war. And the predominantly Muslim North, if you can put yourself in the shoes, well, let me say the bare feet of a Southern Sudanese person. For 50 years, the Muslim North had been trying to annihilate the South, the Southerners. They had special planes called the um, Anatov, something like that, designed to kill human lives from the air. Machine guns pointing to the ground, special doors where they could shove out barrels that would explode on the top of villages. And so there was no farming, no education, there was nothing. People left the country by the millions, and millions also died in South Sudan over 50 years. But God did a miracle. In fact, the general, the Kenyan general who helped broker the peace agreement in 2005 dedicated the opening of our Kenyan orphanage. And what a privilege it was to have lunch with him. And when I said, how did, were you able to do that? He put his spoon down. We were eating rice, and he looked at me. He said, Brother Rogers, it was only God. 2005, South Sudan had a peace agreement. Six-year interim government. The fighting had stopped. We started a school. The first Christian school in that area in 15 years. A lot of the kids that come to our school stay in these cattle camps. They don't have parents. They, they drink the milk from the neighbor's cows. That's how they survive. They sleep on the ground. In fact, this picture that you see right here is a gentleman. He's an adult, and he's a lucky one. He gets to sleep on a blanket and be covered by a grain sack. The kids usually sleep next to the smoldering cow dung fires. We can tell which ones come to the cattle camp because like that second picture I showed, the kid that had the kind of gray dusting, well, that's because that's what he slept all night. But God has given us the privilege to educate these children in a Christian school now since 2005. When we started, we didn't have a building and they didn't have chalkboards, and so the kids did all of their work on the ground doing math in the soil. But now we have this building, as you can see, and desks, and uh, it's really been exciting. Some of you might say, I want to, how do I help with the class or one of the, one of the kids? We have the ability that you can partner with, with one of our kids in our Kenyan children's home, Sudan school, and there's a table in the back. It's about $35 a month, and you can connect with one of the Kenyan kids or help a class in South Sudan. Here's the school now. We were able to put up a fence because South Sudan has ninja goats. These are goats that give their lives and have the ability to leap over tall fences to get to any food. We've tried growing mango trees, vegetables, and every time we're starting to get excited, and then at night or somebody looks that way, you know, the, the goats distract the security guy, and then the other goats infiltrate, and they eat everything in five minutes. It's unbelievable. Well, last year we were able to put a chain-link fence around 20 acres, and we are now going to farm. We are planting trees. We got our first thousand trees that the kids and the community are planting inside the fence. It's going to transform that 20 acres, and it's going to be an amazing, amazing place to reflect the glory of God and teach other people. 
I mentioned our children's homes in Kenya. And I want you to meet Patrick. He's a boy that was eight years old when he came into our home. And um, he was dropped off at the hospital by a good Samaritan, a Kenyan, who found him in a bush, a boy who's an orphan, covered with scabies, which is a small parasite that digs under your skin and it breeds and lays eggs in between the fingers and then the elbows and all the hard points and then it gets in the face and Patrick was dying literally. Well, the hospital didn't know who he belonged to. They nurtured him to a semblance of health at the exact same time we opened our second children's home. And so we brought him into our home and when they did bring him in, that very first trip to the home, we didn't know, but all the kids and the parents, our Kenyan parents, uh, we have Kenyan staff that raised these kids, 24 in a home. Well, they had organized and when we arrived, when Patrick arrived in the car, they had tied a string across the gate and tied flowers onto it. And when he got out of the car, they were singing a song, welcome home, Patrick, welcome home. And they gave him scissors and he cut the string and the kids cheered and they hugged him. And as you can see, he's not eight anymore. None of our kids are small anymore, um, really. But he's about 14. He's still struggling with his health. He's one of our HIV uh, positive kids, but he's alive and he loves God. And when I visited him, Amy, Amy and I are going to be on, our family's on a USA assignment for about two years. I'll be still going back and forth, um, but we have a special assignment here in the States to communicate with people, train teams, raise resources to help strengthen what's going on there. But before we came back this time in January, I stopped by his home. He went into his little dorm room where he stays with 11 other brothers. And I, I just making conversation, I said, Patrick, which one of these little cubes is where you put your shoes? And he said, oh, I share mine with my brother. I said, well, that's good. I said, but you're sharing. Don't you have your own? He said, I do, but it's busy. I said, your, your shoe box is empty? He said, yes. I said, well, wh which one is that? And he pointed to one that had, was completely sealed with a piece of cardboard. I thought, why, why is that? And then he reached over, and what it was was actually a box, this box that fit perfectly into his cardboard, his wooden thing. And he pulls it out, and out pops these 10 chickens. And boy, were they glad to get some fresh air. <laughs> They're like, ooh, ooh, thank, thank you. Anyways, as they come, and I said, Patrick, what do you mean? He says, no, I have my very good poultry project. I said, good for you. Well, I asked his dad, now, not his biological father, they, they've passed, but I asked his, Kenyan dad is on our staff. I said, dad, uh, uh, Ezekiel, is his dad's name, Ezekiel. I said, Patrick has, is going chickens. He goes, oh, Don. He says, haven't you seen all the chickens around the children's home? I said, well, yeah, I did notice. I said, how many is there? He goes, over 60. And they all free range. He lets them out in the morning, and they just start running around, eating crickets and worms and seeds and stuff. And then when the sun starts setting down, he just goes, chip, 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 chip. Well, here they all come, like the Pied Piper. And they climb up a ladder into his makeshift chicken coop that he made from scrap iron sheets and sticks and other stuff from uh, other construction projects Eli was doing. And I'm telling you, um, the dad said, Don, he still has 60 chickens, but he had more. But he 
he sold 20 and he bought two sheep. And those two sheep had twins. And he's going for a cow. <laughs> and I think he's going to make it, don't you? Isn't this amazing what, what, what the enemy would mean to cut off a life, to cut off a child, to see him at eight years old in a bush covered with scabies and a parasite, just on the edge of death and life to be redeemed and reconciled and to be that tiny bud that now is an example to all of us, an amazing entrepreneur that loves Christ. He needs prayers because of his health and his future, but we thank God for friends like you who say, you know what, I want to help one kid. We can't change the whole world. Really. Can you? Can I? No. But we can change the whole world for one person. And that's what we love to try and do. The other thing is, Patrick's getting older. He's not graduated, but these kids did. We had our first 10 children that when we brought them in, were eight, nine years old. They were between ages three and nine when we brought, opened the home 10 years ago. Now they're 18. They've graduated from high school. They're now going out on their own to college, vocational school, or into business. So I wanted to show you a picture of these kids. Um, we feel like nervous parents, you know, because this is our first time to have anybody leave the home. But so far, they're doing very well. It also means we're bringing in new children, because where those kids graduate, we bring in new ones, and, and we would love to have your help. Again, you can visit us back there. And one of the last things I want to just really share, there's so much I could share, but one of the last uh, stories I want to share is what God has done. There's a movement of God's Spirit right now um, that, that I can't totally understand, but I, I'm just so thrilled to see what, what is happening. And and how it happened was I was visiting this village. I had been invited to preach at a church and then do an afternoon youth rally, which I did. And then I went to the youth rally, and kids responded to the gospel and also rededicating their lives. There's about 300 uh, high school, college-age kids sitting outside, and so many of them responded. And afterwards, as I'm interacting with them and just saying, how's your village? What's going on? Getting to know them and, and their place. Um, most of them were, were telling me, oh, man, this community is really in trouble because of alcohol. And so many of the kids said, in fact, my mom is one of the brewers. Because of poverty, we don't have any extra way to make income. So our family, we take the corn, we ferment it, and we make an alcoholic drink called chang'a, which literally translated means kill me quick. You can read in the Kenyan newspaper almost any given week, there's another article, about people that have died drinking it. Because some of these brewers, they're not evil, wicked women, really. But they're just trying to make ends meet. But some of them, to make their product uh, more popular than the neighbors, because there can be anywhere from 10 to 30 women or more in a village brewing this. Some women put in, mix in rat poison, embalming fluid, methanol. If you drink methanol, certain, you can go blind or it'll kill you. So in the newspaper, it's all, you know, such a village, this many, eight people blind, six people killed, and now that woman who is simply trying to feed her family becomes a murderer. I told our Kenyan director, Samuel, I said, Samuel, this community, I mean, there's a lot that are struggling, countless, but this particular one, 
um, I visited. What do you think? He said, Don, I know that community. I was born not far from there. I know the chief, and he's a Christian. I'm going to go visit him. And so Samuel went and visited. They talked. They invited Samuel to come and speak to an open-air community meeting. 150 people came and listened to Samuel challenge them from the Word of God, but also in life, that, that they are the ones that are controlling the destiny of their community's future. And he's saying, what do you want your community to be like 20 years from now? Whatever you want it to be like, you need to make choices now. And Samuel told the people about our training center and the four-day training that we do that can give them a new idea. We thought maybe three or five would respond. Three days after Samuel came back to the training center, his phone rang, and it was the chief, and he was saying, Taimuge, Taimuge, I have 50 women who want to come for training to be changed. How many can you take? Samuel and I talked. We said, we've got capacity for 35, but let's squeeze and make it 40. On that Monday evening, 47 showed up. <laughs> and we told them, we said, they got out of these, it was like a magic trick. It was this Nissan van made for 14 people, and they just kept getting out and out and out. I mean, three van, and we're thinking, what in the world? And then we saw the, the lady, he said, how many are you? 47. I said, hey, we're ready for 40. She got this panic look on her face, and she said, don't send any of us away. We will sleep two to a bed. We will sleep on the ground. We are looking for hope. We didn't send any away, and they did sleep two to a bed. And on the second morning, that was Monday evening, on Tuesday morning, we asked a big, big dialogue. Why did you come? Why are you here? We would like to know what are your expectations before we start talking. I want to learn dairy. I want to learn to do business. I want to learn anything. I want to change. One lady raised her hand. She said, I hope this week I can find salvation. So we wrote that down with everything else. Dairy cow, poultry, business, restaurant, marketing, agriculture, salvation. And when I finished the devotion, and God certainly led as I taught into a gospel message, I said, I know there's one of you who's hoping for salvation. We're about to pray. We're about to give you the chance to turn your life around, to surrender, ask God's forgiveness. He'll forgive you of every sin. You can give your life to him. And uh, if that's you, then raise your hand. Every hand went up. I said, put your hands back down. Let's talk some more. I said, look, this is not just a magic prayer. This is not just then you go. I said, and we talked about the cost of discipleship. It means being willing to go to that church in your village that likely has shunned you, that you have felt embarrassed about because of your job, your vocation. So if that's you, then stand up and say, I am ready to change. They stood up. They received the Lord. We trained them that week. We brought in our AA, our anti-alcohol staff. We've got three guys full-time. They did workshops. We taught them. And I, it was a beautiful, amazing, amazing time. In fact, a radio, Christian radio station heard that brewers were being trained and changed. They came and interviewed women. They put it on the radio. And on Friday at the women's graduation where we give them the you did it certificates, there was... Three or five major networks. And it was the main news, you know, it was that news, three-minute news special. 
for that entire week. And you know what? This isn't the first group. Does this look like 47? Because what happened is the first group went home, and the people witnessed the change and transformation. And three weeks later, we got another call from another chief who said, I have 53. We trained 47 in August, a year ago this month. We trained 53 in September. We trained 84 in October and 91 in November. And you'd say, I thought you had 35 capacity. (laughs) I have no idea how we did it. They slept everywhere, on the floor, on beds. In fact, we're trying to upgrade our facility. If, if you want to help us do that, we need some resources. We're going to add a couple rooms and increase beds. But what's going on is so exciting. And then also this year already, we've trained in another one, uh, three times 40, 100, another 120 people. And 90% of, over 90% are giving their lives to Christ. This October 11th, I will be in Kenya. Pray for me. I leave September 22nd to head back. But on October 11th, over 300 of the women who have been trained, who have stayed sober, who have stopped drinking, who have come to Christ, are all coming back to the Alula Training Center for a one-day reunion. And can you imagine? What is that going to be like? You know, people are going to go, yeah, I changed. How about you? Yeah, me too. (laughs) There's going to be dancing and singing and testimonies. They're going to be fighting for the microphone. You're done. I'm my turn to talk. God, do they? I mean, I, I just, it's going to be awesome. And we're going to take pictures and video. And I'd love to send that to John. He can say, remember, Don? Yeah, here's a three-minute something. So when that comes around in, in uh, October, um, they'll say, oh, yeah, that's right. He, that's right. He was going back to Africa. Would you pray for us between now and then so that when that happens, you say, yeah, that was it. Friends, we can change. For $10 a month, you can change two of those lives. It costs $70 for that one-week training. We charge the women $5. That's really all they can pay. But we have to cover our costs, and so we, we work through that. People like Esther, that lady. Oh, there's the TV cameras. That was at the graduation. But Esther, she was... Before the training, she came, she was on the edge of a dam ready to jump because she'd been brewing, uh, broken from her family, felt useless. We, we, she'll tell you all of those things. There was no hope, and she just come to the end of her rope and thought that the, the, the best thing I should do is just kill myself. But a neighbor saw her and shouted to her. She came back. She got connected with that first group of, of 47. She came to know Christ. She learned ideas, and now she's reconciled with her family, and she's farming, and it is a joy. And this is probably the the last person I want to mention. I just got this report just last week. You see, as these brewers uh, come together, and some of them are actually creating cooperatives. They don't just go home individually and try. Some of them are doing their own businesses, but then they pool together in groups of 20, 30, or 40 One group of 40 women, they call themselves the Exodus Women's Self-Help Group. And we asked them, why did you choose that name? They said, because we were in bondage for years. We were slaves to the alcohol and to the brewing. But now, even if we have to go through a desert for 40 years, we are not going back because we have now seen there's a promised land ahead. They're all working together. 
Carol is one of the women who's a part of that cooperative. But listen, she started going back to church. And when she, the pastor would give her a chance, because she was always there, can I say something again? Every week she wanted to say, oh, God was changing her life. But every time she'd get up, people would weep. People would be moved. There was anointing on her life. Gifted communicator that had never been recognized before. But here she was teaching in such that. So the pastor's with his evangelism program, he started inviting her to go with their team, and people are getting saved. She's now one of the key people on his church planting strategy. Pray for Carol. It's an exciting journey. So, friends, thank you. Please stop by. In fact, maybe uh, if you don't have time, you've still got your, your card, and if you say, there's one part that says, sign me up, here's what I'd ask you to do. Would you prayerfully consider, and John said it's okay because he did it last service, if you want to contribute something uh, monthly, then you can help change those people's lives. So if you want to say, sign me up, you know, $10 something, or you can, you can uh, communicate with us. This, this other piece that, I've, that I, you all had in your bulletin, it also has our website where you can give. I, a second thing is, would you pray? In that, in that one, the open doors uh, thing you have, on the back, it says, here's how you can help. Pray and give. The pray one, it's got a little website because on September 15th, we want to rally as many people as possible, pray together for what God's doing. We don't want it to stop. We want to see a 1,000 women trained every year for the next 10 years. And listen closely. Because when that one woman is changed, like Carol or Esther, it immediately impacts 10 family members because that home is changed. And what about that woman's former, on the average, 100 customers who used to come to her house for alcohol? Now we are equipping these women with the gospel of John and the ability to give their testimony so that when these former customers come to their door, instead of saying, I don't do that anymore, Go in. They can open the door and say, come on in, have a seat, feel at home. I will not be giving you any alcohol. I have none for sale anymore. But what I have is even better. And they give a testimony. So when you add that up, 1,000 women a year, that's 10,000 family members, that's 100,000 testimonies going to people who are addicted to alcohol. That's one year. Go that by 10 years, that's 1 million people that I believe before God we're going to be able to reach and touch and empower these people along the way. And I hope that you'll pray for us and that you'll join us in that journey.